Good evening. We didn't think we were going to make it tonight. Traffic was heavy. <laughs> but we're glad you all made it. <laughs> uh, God is good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight. If you joined us on live stream, thanks for being with us tonight on podcast. We're glad you could tune in because the word is good wherever you may be at. Barbara, if you're watching, I'm glad that you've joined in tonight. I know the word of God would be good for you. Remember, it's health to all of your flesh. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just bless the Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless your name. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. For you alone, O Lord, are worthy of all praise and adoration. There is none like you. You are the majestic Lord, the mighty King, the everlasting God. Thank you, Lord, that you are the most high God, that when we have found you, our search is over. That there is none like you, none that compares with you, nothing that compares with you. You are our healing, our health. Our provision, you're the provider, you are our soundness, our, our, our uh, dominion, our authority. You are our everything, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us to make us brand new, that you took all that we were so that we can grow into becoming all that you are. I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I thank you that as we sit at your feet and we hear your word today, that your Holy Spirit will impart revelation into our heart. Father, we thank you that it's not just head knowledge. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It's not intellectual stimulation, but it's a heart, a heart condition and a heart revelation that comes alive on the inside of us that takes that word and makes it applicable into our life, that stands against all the power of the enemy. The enemy has no place and cannot advance against the word of the living God. Father, I just thank you so much that we are growing and developing in your nature, conforming to the image of Jesus, and more and more walking in a manner worthy of you and pleasing you in all respects. We thank you, Lord. We bless you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's open up to Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Uh, we were over here New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve service. And of course, the Lord set our theme for us. So we're going to work off of that as we go into the year. Praise the Lord. Philippians 1, 19 and 20. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to notice what he, he did not say here. He didn't say, I know this will turn out for my deliverance because I have faith. No, because he takes no credit to himself. I know it'll turn. He has faith. We, we know the apostle Paul has faith. But he says it'll turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Because obviously faith is nothing without the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always 
be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He said, it'll turn out for my deliverance, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope. Hi, Barbara. Glad you're there. According to, controlled, dominated by my earnest expectations and hope. The earnest expectation means an intense anticipation. Okay. Uh, you know, you promise a child that you're going to go sk snow skiing. And the child looks at pictures. I mean, the first time we told our, I think we told our grandkids about going skiing. And they're watching videos about skiing. They're watching things about extreme skiing off of the sides of the mountains and all this crazy stuff, you know. Hi, Pedro. Glad you're there tonight. And, um, you know, so kids will start looking at pictures. They'll start watching videos. They'll, they were given a promise. So... It's not just, okay, this is what they said, but they'll start putting into their imagination what that promise was saying to them. That they'll start not just hearing the promise, but they're going to start seeing. We're going to go skiing. This is what skiing's all about. They start putting it before them. And they start getting an intense anticipation as they think about it. But then they also tell others about it. They talk about it. Somebody tries to contradict about whether they're going to go skiing or not. The child will stand against that. No, we're going. And this is what it's going to be about. And this is what it's like. And we're going skiing, right? Amen. The earnest expectation. This is not pump them up, crank them up, and get them all excited. That's not what it's about. That's all pump personality. That's not what it's about. It's about a condition of the heart. I guarantee you, the Apostle Paul in prison is not hanging off of the chandeliers of the prison house. He just says, I know that I know, and this will turn out for my deliverance because I have an earnest expectation. Now, somebody else could walk up to this child that was just by their parents. They were promised to go snow skiing, and somebody else could walk up to them and say, I'm going to take you snow skiing. Okay, so that promise made by that person, is that child going to believe it? Somebody walks up to you on the street and makes a promise to you. I give money, $20 to some guy that comes in off the street, I need some money for gas, which you know you don't need gas, but I need some money. Here's, your tw here's $20. Oh, I'll be in church Sunday. You ain't going to be in church Sunday. Don't tell me these promises. Don't tell me this nonsense. You're just speaking judgment against yourself. You'll be judged for those words you just said. You understand? So somebody walks up to the child and makes the same promise. Will they believe it? Is it coming from somebody they trust as they would trust their parents? Does it have to come from somebody that they know and whose voice and words are trusted? Of course. Of course. The earnest expectation is based on a hope. The word hope means a desire to obtain something that is good, but not an empty, hollow, worldly hope. 
Well, I hope this is, well, we do hope that this is going to change. There's a lot of people that with that same empty, worldly, hollow hope think they pray. Well, we're hoping for it. We're going to pray. We're hoping for exchange. Don't pray. You're not even in faith. It's an empty, hollow hope. Are you with me? This type of hope is a confident expectation that according to my earnest expectation, my confident expectation, I know that I know that I know this will turn out for my hope, turn out for my deliverance. I know it. I have no doubt about it. Well, you know, so then what what do people start doing? They start saying, I know this is going to work out for me. I know this is going to happen for me because he said that, so I'm going to say the same thing. There's only one difference. He believed it. You don't. The only difference. And it's not the words that come out of your mouth that changes anything. It's the words that come out of your heart that changes everything. If those words are not attached to your heart, if they're not coming up out from your heart, they're not doing anything. And worldly, empty, hollow hope. The child has an expectation of going snow skiing, not because of the words he heard, but because of the person that spoke the words. It's the whole difference who spoke the words. And the child's knowledge of the person that spoke the words. So it's not the words, it's the person that spoke it and the child's knowledge of the person that spoke it. There's a lot of people that know the words of God, but they don't know God. Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways because Moses knew God. Israel didn't. There's a lot of people that know God's ways of healing. Oh, God's a healer. God's a provider. God, 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 can do, God can do anything. But they don't know him. Romans chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Talking about Abraham. Romans 4, 17 and 18. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants or so shall your seed be. All right. In hope against hope. He was against all natural hope of Sarah having offspring, had absolutely no probability of this happening. None. Zero. He's 100 years old. She's 90. All right. The promise started when he was 70 years old. So there was a chance. But as he gets older and she gets older, the probabilities are not in your favor. Your percentages are getting bigger and bigger. Right. The gap between what could happen and what will happen, the gap's getting bigger and bigger. But yet it says he was in hope. 
One translation says he hoped on in faith. Okay, he hoped on in faith. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your seed be. So it was spoken, there's a promise, right? Okay, so it's spoken, there's a promise. So therefore, Abraham puts faith in what he heard. Did he have what he heard? No. Ten years later, did he have what he heard? No. Ten years after that, did he have what he heard? No. But he continued to because hope looks to the future of what needs to be uh, developed into my life. But my faith is what brings that hope into reality. Faith is the, is the substance of things hoped for. So I'm hoping to become the father of many nations. Why? Because of my faith is in what was promised. Understand? So he's hoping on in faith. He has an earnest, confident expectation. Ultimately, he had an earnest, confident expectation. Maybe we'll go down the road of Abraham and see the whole path that he took. Because he is the father of faith. So you ought to learn about what Abraham went through, what he dealt with, and how he got to where he needed to be. And stop thinking we're some kind of Superman that, boom, as soon as I hear something, I ought to be jumping off the rooftop, flying like super faith man or something. Because that's what we do, right? Well, that's what I believe. I don't know why it didn't happen. Give us an hour. We could tell you. <laughs> In hope against hope, in hope of the promise, the word of God, against all natural hope, he believed so that he might become. He was not at that point, but he might become because there's a hope to be a father of many nations as was promised. Isn't that right? So this life-giving power of the word of God was accomplished in Abraham. See, first, before it can be accomplished for you, it has to be accomplished in you. It was accomplished in Abraham as he, contrary to all natural hope, in the word, he hoped and believed. Abraham's example also helps us to understand the nature of faith. See, if you would study the life of Abraham, you'd study the nature. Yeah, but Abraham wasn't born again, but we are. But you're still a human with an unrenewed soul, an unrenewed mind, and still has to have work done on it. It's the nature of faith. The conception of Adam's son, Isaac, was a miracle, but it was not an immaculate conception. You understand this, right? Abraham's faith did not mean that he just did nothing and waited for God to create a child in Sarah's womb. And that's where a lot of people think faith is. Well, I'm just waiting on God to do something. Well, it didn't happen, so I guess it's not God's will. Well, why do we think that? Because you don't know the one that promised. You don't know him, so you don't trust him. So therefore, if it don't happen, then that's your excuse or reason on why, you know. But the bottom line is you just didn't know him. This is why we come up with all kinds of men's doctrines. And this is why you see men's doctrines change all the time. Because man don't even know. Man don't know. That mind don't know. Okay. 
Abraham and Sarah had marital relations and trusted God for a miraculous result in line with the promise. What came first? The promise. Then came the marital relations. And then came the trust in God to work his promise. It wasn't we're having marital relations and we're going to trust God to have a result because I believe that this is a promise God made to me. You're backwards. You want to get this first and then think God's going to bless what you did. God's not required to bless what you do. We are required to obey what he says. So you got to get it right first. The first thing is the promise. Faith does not mean doing nothing. But what you do, you do it with trust and reliance on God and his miraculous work as he has promised. Not as they wanted. Did they want kids? Yeah, they wanted offspring. But that's not what it was about. It was as the Lord spoke. As the Lord spoke. Now, Christians today, they'll say, but the Bible says... Yes, the Bible says on paper, on your device, what does it say in your heart? Major difference. God spoke to Abraham just like that word is supposed to speak to you. It's not just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. I'm going for it. Those days are done. And it's time to grow. Are you with me? It was not as they wanted, but it was as the Lord spoke. And when the Lord speaks, he speaks his plan. According to that which had been spoken. Now, how much do you think Abraham spoke about what God spoke to him about? How much do you think he thought about it? Do you think he pondered it? Considered it, muttered it, mused over it, talked to others about it. Maybe he talked to Sarah about it. What about when God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning the father of multitude? And people ask him, how come you had that name? You don't even have any children. And then he's got to explain all that. But that's all part of the faith process. If you don't like to talk, you're in big trouble when it comes to faith. You're in big trouble when it comes to faith. It's part of the faith process. Because if the faith in your heart don't get into your mouth, it is not going to happen. You cannot be a recluse and operate by faith. He had an earnest, confident expectation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. I'm trying to do it a step-by-step process. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. Hearing creates faith. You're sitting here right now hearing the word and faith is coming to you. Isn't that right? So when I hear, faith is coming to me. 
When I meditate what I hear, ponder it, muse over the word, not how it's going to happen. This is what we do. We spend our time thinking about, well, how's this going to happen? And this is why things don't grow and develop in our life, because we think about the wrong things. You're thinking about what you can't do. It's impossible for you to do the how. It's not your job to do the how. Right? So we don't want to spend our time thinking about how is it going to happen. What's the odds that you think this is going to happen? You don't want to think about that. It's not your job. What are you supposed to do? Muse over the word and the word alone. Well, I don't see how that's my answer. Because you're not your answer. When you start musing over the word and the word alone, then, parable of the sower, I've been sowing the word, sowing the word, sowing the word, and it will grow, and it will develop, and I'm going to hear the word in my spirit, and it will become living faith. Will you move out of a theological mind into a believing heart? It's where you take everything you've learned in seminary and say, theological, I need living faith. Now, is it important to know theories and stuff like that? Of course there is. Principles of the word and all that. But knowing the principles don't help you unless it moves into living faith. And if you don't know how to hear it in your spirit, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. Because now you're over into the I don't know if it's going to happen. Oh, I really believe it's going to happen. Let me get really excited about this. I really believe it's going to happen. You get excited as you want. It's just flesh. And we're talking about living faith. Comes alive on the, this is why Pastor Ned asked Tuesday, who wants to do spiritual ears classes again? Now, if you don't think you need that, that's fine. If you've got that all top-notch working in your life, great. I'll sit there and you can teach. <laughs> you know, I'd be glad to hear it again. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Because the same place when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, when you speak in other tongues, the same place that the tongues come from out from your spirit is the same place living faith comes from. Amen. John chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. John chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. The sheep only follow the shepherd because they know his voice. How does faith come? By hearing his voice. Hearing his voice. Not Not the written word, although you need the written word. You know, but this is why people used to go nuts. I would take my Bible, throw it on the floor, and I'd jump on top of it. They go, oh, you're stepping on the Bible. It's paper. It's all it is. It's a book. It's nothing until it gets in your heart. 
And this is why people are so religious, because they think that that Bible is, and I, I understand that. The, the Bible is important. The word on that page is important, that unless you can get that word in you, and you have to understand how blessed we are in the Western world, that we have all these Bibles in every format, in every form, in every way that we can get a hold of this word to get it in our heart. We're not meeting in some underground church and passing around pieces of paper that's got a scripture on it and everybody might try to get a piece each week so that they can read something from the word. This is blessed. And unfortunately, many people are too busy to partake of the blessing. Because they've been blessed with so much other stuff. They don't have time for the thing that creates the blessing. My sheep know my voice. Another voice they will not follow. They hear my voice and faith comes to them by hearing. So they can walk by faith following the shepherd that they know and who they know they're hearing. So how do you know if you're hearing the shepherd's voice? Well, some people say, well, if you know the Bible, then you know his voice. No, you don't. Not at all. Throw yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written, he'll give his angels charge over you. Psalm 91, he'll give his angels charge over you to bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Go ahead, act on the word. Oh, yeah, but no, that, that wouldn't be God because, you know, that was a temptation to commit suicide. Well, what about the temptation for you to commit bankruptcy? What about the temptation for you to commit so much debt, go out shopping and spend all kinds of money that you can't afford? But God will pay for it. You know, he supplies all our needs. Is that the voice of the shepherd? But how many times have you done that? Don't raise your hand. Are you with me? Don't shout me down. This is good preaching. Yes, it is. Second Peter chapter 1. It's not just knowing what you hear. You need to know who you're hearing. Mm -hmm. Second Peter chapter 1, 17 through 19. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we had the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. A more sure word, okay? We had the prophetic word made more sure. The prophetic word from the Old Testament is made more sure because the Old Testament predicted about the coming of Christ, coming in great power and great glory, right? The events on the Mount of Transfiguration confirm the prophecies of the Old Testament. 
what the apostles saw on the Mount of Transfiguration did not set aside the Old Testament prophecies and go, oh, now we've got this. We don't need the Old Testament prophecies anymore. We need this. They didn't set aside the Old Testament prophecies. They didn't make the Old Testament prophecies more certain. What they did was added confirmation. The, the appearance of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration made the Old Testament prophecies more certain and confirmed them. Confirm the reality and the truth of the Old Testament word. So a paraphrase of what he's saying here could be, pay attention to the lamp, which is the word, shining in the dark places of your understanding. Until the morning star, which is Jesus, the word made flesh, arises and comes alive in our hearts. So let me ask you this. When you got born again, did Jesus and the reality about Jesus come alive in your heart? And he came alive in your heart and you said, I must receive Jesus. I need to get saved. Why does it change after we get saved? All of a sudden we go back to the theological mind. Oh, I'll just do this. I'll just do that. Well, you know, I can do this because God's promised that. There's nothing alive. Is that alive in your heart? Or is that just something in your head? Go ahead. Throw yourself down from here. It's okay. This is what the word says. God promised he'll give his angels charge over you. What are we hearing? Are we hearing life on the inside of us? Or are we just hearing out of our emotions what we want? And instead of being the spiritual Christian, we're just the soulish Christian. And I'm not saying you are. I'm just laying it out. It's up to you to decide where you're at. It's kind of like sin. Nobody likes to talk about sin. But unless you see it, how will you ever change it? And that's the whole purpose of the teaching of the word of God. It's to open up to see things. And then I have to admit where I'm at and make the changes that are needed. And if I don't want to admit it and I don't want to change it, God will still love you. And you'll still probably go to heaven. But you may have some tears he's wiping away. We should always keep the prophetic word, the Bible before us, always treasuring it in our hearts. For that word will serve as a light in this dark world until the age is ended and Christ appears. So until that time comes, we need that word and that light dawning in our hearts. And that is the word coming alive on the inside of us. Are you with me? 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. What prophecy is he talking about? The whole Bible. The Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. It's all God spoken. It is God speaking to us is what the Bible is. The word of God is not merely a history book and it's not merely something pointing to future events. The word of God is personal, spoken to me. Amen. 
So what about people? People, well, they want to speak. You know, everybody, their brother wants to be a prophet. Oh, and everybody's got a prophetic word about something. You know, dear God. But what if somebody wants to speak to us prophetically? Does it confirm the word that's already in you? Does the prophecy make the word of God more sure that's inside of you? Is it a lamp to the treasured word that you already have? Or does it sit, make you sit there and go, hmm, hmm, I wonder what that means. Hmm. No. No. Everybody wants to be the Elijahs that passed away in the Old Testament. Prophetic utterances today is to confirm what's already on the inside of you. You say, well, what if nothing's inside of me? Well, then you need a teaching like this so you can get it inside of you. <laughs> Are you with me? The word of God is living and is designed to live in you, not just something to memorize in your head. It's to create a living reality in your life. And that's why the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Living by that living reality in your life. Amen. Amen. You know, that's why James says, show me your faith without the works. I'll show you my faith by my works, and I don't even have to say a word. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to boast about it. I don't have to tell you about how good I'm doing. I don't tell you, have to tell you about how great of anything just look at how I live and just see what I believe. Are you with me? 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. As for you, that would be you, me, all of us, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the anointing. He is the one that we have received, and he abides in us. Okay? The Holy Spirit is to speak within our spirit, and we are to hear the Holy Spirit in our spirit, or at least you're supposed to. No different than when Jesus was on the earth living in a physical body, and he was at the Sea of Galilee. You could go to the Sea of Galilee and hear him. If he was in Capernaum, you could go to Capernaum and you could hear him. If he was standing at the temple in Jerusalem and you were there, you could hear him. But now the Holy Spirit is wherever you are, and wherever you are, you can hear him. You're supposed to hear him. He is not a mystery. He lives in you, and you're supposed to hear him. He teaches us. He leads us. Now, many have taken the ability of being spirit-filled, the ability of speaking in tongues, and they've taken that as a shortcut to hear the Holy Spirit 
but not spend time in the word. I just have to pray in tongues. I'll hear from the Holy Spirit and I don't need to spend time in the word. Well, my former pastor made that statement. He used to tell us on the staff, or I don't know if he told the whole staff, but I know he said it to me. He says, you know, when it comes to teaching, you need to study the word. But when it comes to your own personal life, all you need to do is pray in tongues. I was like, yeah, that don't sound right. And it wasn't right. And what happened in his life was proof of that. That doesn't mean everything he said was not right. You don't throw away the baby with the bathwater. The word of God is to be treasured in our heart as a lamp that shines in the dark place. You know, there's dark places within us. Forget it. You know, everybody wants to say, oh, the world is so dark. Well, what about between your head and your toes? <laughs> our understanding is so darkened. Our soul is unrestored. Our mind is unrenewed. It needs work. Yeah. Even though it's gotten some renewal and got some restoration, it needs work. You're, you're, you're bobbing your head, so I see you agree with that. Yeah. Amen. The word of God spoken to us can become a word of God spoken in us. Faith comes by hearing when the word is spoken, and faith comes by hearing when it comes alive on the inside of me. Hearing and hearing. Not just one hearing, hearing and hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Amen. Amen. John chapter 14. Verses 23 to 26. John chapter 14, 23 to 26. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him. And make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He'll bring to your remembrance. What is he going to bring to your remembrance? The word that was spoken. He'll bring to your remembrance the word that was spoken. Why? So you can hear it and you can treasure it. And if you treasure it, then you will hear it. And when you hear it, you'll treasure it. And if you treasure it, you'll hear it. It just continues to build and build and build. The Holy Spirit's there to remind you. You know, there's times that people send me a text or an email about something and I'll ask questions about something. And as I'm looking at it, the Holy Spirit brings stuff up on the inside of me and I'll just send a response to it based on what was brought up. Sometimes I get into a situation, I'm just thinking about it, but the Holy Spirit brings up something. Amen. Amen. Chapter 16, verse 13. So if he brings to your remembrance, he's, he, you could say he's reminding you. But what if you're not hearing the word? He has nothing to remind you about. My wife could ask me to do something, and I could forget about it. And she'll say, you remember when I asked you about that? What was she doing? Reminding me. 
Now, if she never said it in the first place, she couldn't say, remember when I said. She couldn't say that because she never said it. So if the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, it's got to be something you've already heard. But if you're not hearing anything, he's got nothing to remind you about. Chapter 16, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. The spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. He leads you in the truth. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not our truth. It's not our truth. It's not what we consider truth. It's not what seems real to us. So bottom line is, you and I, we have no truth. You might as well just settle that. You have no truth. Because if the truth is different from what he would lead you in, then it's a lie. There are no half-truths. You know what a half-truth is, right? It's a lie. <laughs> not our truth. It's not what we consider, what we figure, what we reason, or what we have concluded to be the truth. There goes that theological mind again. But he, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth. Why? Because he's the spirit of Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Apart from him, there is no truth. In fact, go over to John 17. You all know this one. John 17, verse 17. Jesus is speaking in what is actually the Lord's Prayer, spoken at the Last Supper just before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays to the Father and he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Who is Jesus? The word made flesh. He is the truth. The word is the truth. And the word alone is the truth. There is no truth outside of the word. Now, the faster you settle that, life will get a lot better. Your word is truth, the Greek word aletheia. It means the unveiled rea reality lying at the basis of and agreeing with an appearance. The unveiled reality lying at the basis of and agreeing with an appearance. It is the manifested essence of the matter. I'll give you a few of these and then we'll talk about them. It's the reality pertaining to an appearance. It's the reality clearly lying before our eyes as opposed to a mere appearance without reality. So, I've used this example before. My wife wants a cup of tea. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to get up. I don't want to make you some tea. But I guess she wants some tea. So I get up reluctantly and grudgingly. I get up. I make some tea. I make the bring of the tea. I bring it over to her. I go, here's the tea. And I smile as I give it to her. Here's the tea you wanted. <laughs> what is the manifested essence of that? You're a sluggard. You're a slouch. You're a... You know, nothing good, actually. Now, it looks like, it looks like, <laughs> looks like it's good. 
But you see, the essence of the matter is what's going on in me. That's the essence of the matter, not what you see out here. The truth is what's going on inside. Now, when I say I gladly, sure, I'd be glad to make you tea. That's what you want. No problem at all. Be glad to do it for you. Even though I'm busy with something, I just put that down on the side. I'll get you some tea. So in me is the willingness and the wanting to do it, and then I do it for her. So the truth of the matter is that the inside and the outside lines up in agreement. That's walking in the truth. If the inside is not lining up with the outside, you're lying. So there's only two ways to live. You either live in the truth or you live in the lie. And this is why I say when I was a sinner, I was a very truthful sinner. I was the same way outside as I was inside. Does that make sense to you? Thy word is truth, the truth, the unveiled reality that lies at the basis of and agrees with an appearance, okay? The manifested essence of the matter, the truth, the word of God is the reality. When we see an appearance and the basis of it is the word of God, then we see the truth. Show me your faith without the works. I'll show you my faith by my works because at the basis of my works is the word of God. And you can see the truth based on how I live. The word of God is the reality that pertains to the appearance. The word of God is the reality that pertains to the appearance. When the word of God is at the basis of the things we do, then we're walking in truth. If I am looking at sickness on my body, it is an appearance without reality. Let me say that again. If I'm looking at sickness on my body, it is an appearance without reality. Why? Because thy word is reality, truth. The reality is Psalm 107.20. He sent his word and healed me and delivered me from my destructions. The truth is Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the Lord. The reality is Isaiah 53, he bore my sicknesses and my diseases, calamities, anxieties, and carried my pains and sorrows, and by his stripes I am healed. That's the reality. And if what is appearing is not the same as that reality, this is an appearance without reality, and therefore it's got to go, and it cannot stay. The truth will override that appearance. Amen. Yes. amen. Amen, amen. Sickness is not reality. When I'm looking at health, then I'm clearly looking at reality. Since my appearance may be without reality, then the appearance can be changed to reality because everything is subject to truth. That may be a true fact, but it's a false reality, and therefore it's subject to the reality of the truth. Amen. The only thing 
that makes the unreal real is when I settle for the unreal. When I settle for it, then that makes that unreal real. But if all I'm going to do is settle for the truth, then that unreal reality, that unreal appearance has to change. Now, remember what I said before. When you hear the word, you meditate on the word. Right? So here I am, and I'm dealing with a situation where the appearance has no reality. But the reality is the word of God. What do I have to do? Meditate on the reality. Isn't that right? How long do I meditate on the reality? Why do you look to quit? Why do you look to quit meditating on the reality? That's your life. See, we think, well, as soon as I get better, I can quit. No. Why do you quit? This is your life. This is why you have problems. You're looking for a point to quit. You got to settle it. This is life. This is what your life is about. Loving the Lord. Obeying his voice. Holding fast to him. That's what life is. It's what it says in Deuteronomy. This is your life. Amen. <laughs> so I meditate on the reality. But then I keep looking at the appearance. Well, I need this to change. Well, that's not going to change anything. By you looking at that and going, I need this to change. What are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be looking at the reality and meditating on the reality. When do you quit meditating on the reality? You never do. That's what you always do. That's what your life is. But you haven't settled that yet. And you got to settle the fact that this is your life. And as long as that's not settled, you're always looking to the unreal to prove the reality. The unreal does not prove the reality. The reality is reality, and it never changes. Are you with me? It's not about how's it going to work. It's not about what, am I, what do I need to do to make this work. Nope. You have to be looking at the reality. Out from the reality can come direction. Out from the reality can come the voice of the Holy Spirit. Out of the reality comes living faith. Amen. Joshua 1.8. So again, the only thing that makes the unreal real is that if I settle for the unreal. Amen. And we're not settling. I know you guys on live stream are not going to settle. Amen. Joshua 1.8. You all know the verse. This book of the law, which is the word, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. How long? And how long does that last? Until there is no more day and night. And when will that be? That'll be when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven and the Lord is in the, in the temple and there's no need for sun or moon. 
and that'll be the end of day and night. So until that time comes, what are you going to do? Meditate on the book of the word of God. So that, in order that, for this reason, that you would be careful to do according to all that is written in it. All right, so who thinks that we're doing all that's written in it? Any show of hands. I don't see anybody out there and... I can't see you, but I don't think you are raising your hand. So we're not doing all. We're doing what we know to do. But how many of you know that when you don't do certain things, it messes up your life? Because a lot of times we say things like, well, you know, I'm doing, but, but you know, I'm, I'm having all these problems. And, well, yeah, but, you know, it's like driving a car and you get in the car and it don't start. What's wrong with it? I don't know. What do you do? Turn the key. But it don't start. But I turn the key. Well, today you push the button. You know, whatever it is. You know, you, I'm pushing the button. I'm pushing the button. But I'm not. It doesn't start. Why don't it start? I don't know. I'm doing all I know to do. Well, obviously, you don't know enough. All you know is that button. And there's more. You don't know this. You may not know this, but there's more to a car than that button. <laughs> No, we realize you're doing all that you know to do, but it's just not enough. So you need to get a hold of somebody that does know enough to get it to work, right? So we are to meditate on the word of God day and night, as long as it's day and night, so that we would be careful, observed to do, focused to do, sober to do, according to all that's written in it, for then... So that in order that you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Yes. Now, you know that in the world without God, just do, living by the flesh, you can be prosperous and successful. Unreal. It's unreal. No reality to it. Not if it's not based on the word of God. There's no reality to it. And it's subject to be lost. Yes. I've seen Christians get in there with God, man. They're believing God and they're getting in there, getting in his word and they're confessing the word and they're praying and, and God blesses them. Then all of a sudden, they're so busy with what they got. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time to get in the word. They don't have time for the very thing that brought their success. And because now they've transferred all that they have over to an emptiness and no more reality, they lose it seen it over and over again. People think, well, you know, because I'm saved, everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah. Guess again. And that could be everything's okay for your final destination. But you got a lot of years between the time you get saved and you reach that final destination. And God's desire is that you live successful in this life. Being an overcomer. Isn't that right? Meditate, ponder, muse over, think about all that you read in the Word. So you can't run to the Word of God, open up the Word, and go, oh, there it is, as if I have it. 
No, you don't have it. The word has it. You don't have it. The word has it. You found it in the word. So the word has it. You don't have it, but you got to make it your own. How do you do that? Meditate, ponder, muse over it, mutter it, speak it to yourself until the morning star arises in your heart, which is faith comes alive on the inside. You can't say things like, I was praying in the Holy Ghost. Oh, and I heard this from the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, I've got that. You don't have it. The Holy Spirit has it. That's why he spoke it. He has it. You have to make it your own. How do you do that? Meditate, ponder, muse over it, mutter it, speak it to yourself. Huh? So now that you hear it, now that you've seen it, now that you've heard it, now you got to start meditating on it. Ponder it. Think about it. Not try to figure it out. Yeah, but, you know, if God spoke it, it's going to automatically be done. Really? And then there's Abraham, the father of faith. Was it automatically done? No, not even close. 20, no, it's 30 years between when the promise was first made to the time Isaac was born. 30 years. But yet God spoke it. But it didn't automatically happen. Most of the things you see in the Bible don't automatically happen. Only if there's gifts of the Spirit and they're few and far between. So now that you hear, now that you heard, now that you read, you start to meditate it, ponder it, think about it. Don't try to figure it out. It will arise in you. It will be given to you. It will drop in your heart. Parable of the sower. The seed gets sown in, finally gets in. It's in my head. It's in my pondering. It's in my thinking, but finally gets into the seed of understanding called the good soil. And that soil of my spirit now produces in me faith that is 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that faith will bear and bring forth. Are you with me? Only as you meditate on the word will it come alive inside of your heart. If you want to push forward in your, in your life, don't let go of the word. The word is what creates choices, directions, and decisions. One more verse. Romans 4. 20 and 21. Romans 4, 20 and 21. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured or fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform it. He grew strong, grew strong in faith. He was strengthened in faith, strengthened in the truth, but he was also strengthened by faith and strengthened by the truth. His faith became stronger and stronger because the truth in him became stronger and stronger. Therefore, he himself in his own life became stronger and stronger because of faith and because of truth. He grew strong in faith. God will bless us 
always in proportion to our faith. It is the rule of his kingdom. He is not one to show partiality. Faith will always have results. It is a principle and rule of the kingdom of God. And if there's anybody that will keep to the rule of law, it is God. And it's the rule and law of his kingdom that cannot be changed. Let me say that again. The rule of his kingdom is that you will always be blessed in proportion to your faith. He said it to Bartimaeus, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Abraham's faith at this point, not all of his life, but at this point, his faith was not wavering and it gave glory to God. His faith was giving glory to God and his glorifying God kept him steady in faith. And you got to understand from the time Abraham was 70 years old to the time he's 100 years old, the promise never changed, but his life is continually changing. So therefore, this is a huge challenge. And Abraham remained steadfast in faith. You know, this is why Sarah made the statement at her age, 90 years old. Oh, well, I have pleasure in my Lord at this time. You know, it's not an immaculate conception. Something's got to be working here. We old. Talking to the right group. <laughs> yeah. You're trying so hard not to react to that. When there is no contest, it is always true that no one will deny that God can do all things. But as soon as anything comes in the way to impede the course of God's promise, we cast down God's uh, power from its eminence in our life. And we look to run to something else. Why? Because we're not fully persuaded. Abraham's faith came to be fully persuaded of God's ability to perform what he had promised. Are we fully persuaded in our spirit, in our soul, in our thinking, in our emotions, in our will, just like in salvation when we got saved? You know, every one of us is absolutely certain that heaven will be our home. But yet not one of us are at the doorway of stepping into it. So what will happen between now and then? Will you grow in faith? Where were you 18 years ago when Hurricane Charlie came through? And where were you in your faith and dealing with Hurricane Charlie? Where were you this time 18 years later? in dealing with Ian when it came through. Did your faith increase or did you step backward? 
So as we're stepping up towards the doorway of eternity, are we growing in faith to where we're ready to say like Paul, I have finished my course. I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to go. Here I come, Lord Jesus. Or am I going to be shrinking away? I don't know about this. I'm not too sure about this. I really hope that this is right. Where are we going to be? Are you with me? Are we fully persuaded about salvation? Are we full? How many of you would say that you live your life 24-7, 365, like a saved person? In your thinking, in your words, in your attitude. Anybody? No, don't raise your hand because we'll cast that lion devil out of you. <laughs> so, but yet, we'll never deny the fact that we're saved. But yet, when other situations come up in our life, why do we deny the reality of the word of God about that situation? That we always lean into that situation. When the first thing should be, we lean into the word of yes. God. Amen. The word of God becomes our material thought, becomes the bent of our soul. I don't lean into the things that are unreal. I lean into the reality. Is your God too small for the things you have to deal with? The God of Abraham was able to perform what he had promised and Abraham was fully persuaded of it. He had a confident, earnest expectation. Do we live in that place of a constant, earnest expectation? Or have the things of life caused too many disappointments, discouragements, disheartened, frustrated? Have we gotten caught up too much with what goes on around us and not what goes on within us? You know, there's one thing that I hear so many times from Christians almost every place is negativity. I've had it with negativity. I really have. You know, and I know a lot of negative things about the world. Well, no kidding, the world's negative. It's going to hell. You understand that. No kidding. So there's going to be a lot of negative things in the world. Is that the reality? No. So where are we going to live? Are we going to live in the negativity of the unreal appearances? Or are we going to live in the realities? What's going to be in our mouth? The realities of the word of God and the truth that will bring success, prospering, and, 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 and success in our life? Or are we going to have in our mouth the unreal appearances of the world that's going to hell and dragging you in the same direction. Not spiritually, mentally, emotionally, dragging you in the pit. There's a lot going on in these days. This is our year to live, to have to live on the edge of our seat. You can't be there if you're going to be negative. If you're going to be negative, you're going to be complaining, you're going to be murmuring, you're going to be mumbling, you're not going to get there. You can't be on the edge of your seat with an expectation 
If Paul was ever in prison and going, I can't believe I'm in here. I tell you what, I didn't do anything wrong. This just isn't right. Life isn't fair. Oh, I tell you what, I should not be here. Oh, this is just, well, if he was complaining like that, he would have no earnest expectation. You got to be determined to keep yourself set in the right place. Because the more you get into the negativity, the smaller your God will be. You won't say that out your mouth, but it will be in your life. The more negative you get. Amen. Some people come to Jesus, but they don't go any further with him. Because they're not fully persuaded that what he promised that he's able to perform it. They think it's fine for them, but it won't work for me. And that type of thinking is nothing but a devilish attack on faith, and it must be rejected. The wrong thinking that another person's will can be controlled by faith. Boy, that's wrong thinking. You can't control somebody's will by faith. God don't even control anybody's will. And yet a lot of people have really gotten discouraged, disheartened, and beat down because somebody didn't do what they believed that they were supposed to do. Get over it. You can't control somebody's will. People do what they want to do. Proof of it is you do what you want to do. Don't you? Thank you for the resounding yes. Of course you do. You do what you want to do. And there are some things you do, and it don't matter what I say, you ain't changing it for nothing. Don't shout me down. You know it. I know it. Let's not play games here. <laughs> Amen. You know I love you, though, right? I love you. To try to change another person's will by faith is witchcraft. God could promise you something. I'm going to get you the money so-and-so, and, and so-and-so is going to bring it to you. And I don't really think God's going to tell you that, but sometimes we think these things. And it don't happen because so-and-so just didn't want to do it. Now, you know, my pastor, when he was in Bible school, the Lord told he needed $10 a week to pay for his, uh, I think, where he was staying at. And the Lord told him the person next door to you is going to give you the $10. And I think, maybe not. But he was going to get the $10. The Lord said he would have the $10. He was believing for the $10. And his neighbor said to him, I believe God wants me to give you the $10 for your rent. He said, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want to give you the $10. So you can't control somebody's will. So what do you do besides punch him in the face? You don't want to punch him in the face. That'll be the end of faith. <laughs> you know, so the whole thing is, is you got to now, well, what do I do next? What's the next step? You know, you don't let go of what you've been believing. It's just that it wasn't coming through them. Amen. But God, you know, most of the time, God's not going to tell you so and so this and that and all that kind of stuff. He don't. He didn't even tell Abraham who the, the country was that was going to get Israel into bondage for 400 years. You know why? Because at that point, the nation didn't make their decision. Well, how did God know that they were going to be in bondage for 400 years? Because God knows the devil. And then whoever obeys the devil will be the one that gets used by the devil. 
The persuaded kind of faith sees the work of God as already being done. It sees the work of God done in the immediate. Isaac was born in fulfillment of the promise. But faith also sees the work of God done in the eternal. It was accounted to him as righteousness. So what do we want to press into this year? Being fully persuaded. That's what we want to press into. You got to let go of the things you need to let go of. Take hold of the things you need to take hold of and grow into being fully persuaded. Spirit, soul, and body. It will increase our suddenlies that happen in life. And it comes by realizing, not in theology, but in the reality of life, faith alive in my spirit. The word is truth. And that truth is to come from me through the word of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you and bless you, Father. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Oh, Father, we, we honor you. We adore you, Lord. We lift our hands to you in adoration and honor to you, Lord God, King, majesty on high. If you're listening on live stream or podcast, just, just lift your hands to the Lord right now and just bless him and praise him. We give you all the glory and the honor, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we come before you right now, Lord, we just ask you to help us in this. Holy Spirit, bring these things to our remembrance, that we would meditate, ponder, think about it, give ourselves to it, muse over it, mutter it, speak it to ourselves. Take that word and put it back on the inside of our heart, that it would grow and produce fruit after its own kind. Help us, Holy Spirit, to come to that place to where we're fully persuaded. We understand that's not going to be everything all at once, but starting in one area. Get us, help us to get that rule of the kingdom into operation in our life. And as we get that rule of the kingdom operating in our life, it'll become easier and easier and easier and easier. No matter what the enemy throws at us, We'll walk through it. We'll come out the other side of it. We'll be the overcomers because we will be fully persuaded that what you promised, you are able to perform it. That from this day forward, Holy Spirit, help us that when we look at things, help us to realize, first of all, the reality. And does the reality line up with the appearance? And if it does not, then we will lean to the reality to change the appearance. Lord, we thank you for these things. We bless you and we praise you for it. Thank you, Father. 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 Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we might look at our checkbooks, bank accounts, investments, and see this is dwindling. It's getting smaller. Inflation is getting bigger. But your word changes not. And therefore, giving changes not, sowing changes not. And if we want those things that are in the seen realm to be changed, we want them to change to the reality of your word. And your word says that there's one that gives and yet increases all the more. There's one that sows and there will be an increase of the harvest of the righteous act of giving. That as they give, it's given back good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Father, I look to your word and set myself on your word, meditate on your word, get it into my heart. 
and it will come out in living faith and it will be something I act on and it will produce after its own kind. Thank you, Father, that we're not subjected to the world's ways, but we can live according to the rules of your kingdom. For your word is truth. Thank you, Father. We bless you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, thank you again for joining with us today on live stream or on podcast. It's always an honor to share the word of God with you. And if there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. Uh, we're standing in agreement with some of you in prayer. And uh, we're expecting that God is going to move into your life and to touch you. So if you'd like to sow seed into the offering, into the ministry, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And we thank you in advance for the seed that you sow.